Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. My name is Nathan. I'm the host for today's episode. I'm also our senior producer. And you can find the Bridging Chicago podcast at www.bridgingchicago.com. That's where you can go to listen to all the episodes of the podcast, including the previous four seasons. And we're right here in the middle of releasing season five. So we've been so excited to get to join you now for our fifth season. Uh, You can also find the podcast on LinkedIn by searching Bridging Chicago. And our handle for Twitter and Instagram is at Bridging Chicago. So now that that's all done, I'd like to welcome our guest today. I'm really excited because we get to be joined by a panel of guests today um, who are representing Reading in Motion, an amazing organization that is doing work in Chicago to help readers not just be able to read at their level, but actually to be able to read at a level up. And so they're essentially leveling up reading here in Chicago. So I'm so thankful to Avo, Brenda, and Lauren who are joining us today. Avo and Brenda are uh, both instructional coaches for Reading in Motion, and Lauren is their educational programs manager. So thank you to the three of you for joining me. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Lauren, I'm going to start with you because I did get the opportunity to meet with you before this and and talk about what you're doing there and what the organization is doing. So first, I'd like to say thank you for joining me. And if you could share with me a little bit about Reading in Motion and, and what the heart of its mission is. So we kind of all are on the same page as to what the organization is. Yeah, absolutely. So Reading in Motion is a nonprofit organization And really, our mission is to allow students to have the opportunity to read who may not otherwise be afforded that particular privilege. Um, And so Reading in Motion, like I said, we are a nonprofit, so we do a lot of fundraising to help our schools to afford our services. But I think what really sets Reading in Motion apart is that we are an um, arts-infused program. We have lots of songs. Um, We have scripts. We have all sorts of fun activities that students are able to do in order to help them to learn to read. And I think that that, as a former teacher, is what makes Reading in Motion exciting. And yeah, I love what we do. I love our mission. I love our students. And I think we make a big difference. So as a former teacher, can I ask you, um, reading is obviously foundational for students, um, being able to learn the alphabet, to uh, to speak and read clearly, I think is really important. And so for you, what is it about the mission of reading emotion and, and reading in general that is really especially important, I think, for students to get very young, to, to start doing very young and get proficient at at a young age? Yeah. Yeah, so research shows that if um, if a student is unable to read by the end of third grade, that it's very likely that they will never catch up. Um, and that's a pretty scary statistic. Um, reading in motion really does sit in that pre-K through second. We're hoping to expand into third grade. So okay. we really do provide these services to those students who are at that crucial time period where they will be able to learn how to read and it will help um, it will help them from being held back for you know the rest of their lives. If we don't catch them up in time, then it does show that students, um, research shows that students will, ne- will not catch up. Yeah. And so knowing that, Brenda, as an instructional coach, first, can you share with me kind of what that means and, and what you do there? And then um, sort of knowing that if you don't stand in the gap 
and and help these kids learn to read and, and not just learn but enjoy reading at a very young age what that means for you like in your heart like hearing that what does that mean to you oh it's it's heartbreaking and I mean, as a, as a former school counselor, I would see it when I was, um, you know, working with children that would have, you know, behavioral issues in the classroom. A lot of it was because they were struggling with reading. And like Lauren was saying, if they, yeah, if they're struggling to read by third, fourth grade, the chances of catching up are just, are, are slim. It's just even harder to close those gaps. And so our, our, our organization really, um, focuses on trying to like, you know, prevent that from happening, obviously, but, um, Oh, it's hugely important. And as we all know, like reading is the foundation for all learning, you know? So of course, what, you know, like when, once a child gets to third, fourth, fifth grade, if they're struggling to read, then they're going to struggle in social studies. They're going to struggle in science. And so it, it's, it's something that will uh, of course have repercussions for, for them as a lifelong learner for sure. Yeah. And do you have uh, direct contact with the students? Do you work directly with them um, learning to read? Um, yeah, so actually before my role as an instructional coach, I was um, what we call it at, at Reading in Motion and um, an, um, an extra dosage instructor. That's how I started my work um, with the organization. And I would do like um, small group work with those kiddos, especially that, um, for lack of a better word, kind of fall through the cracks. So they might not be really low, like where they need like special ed services, um, but they kind of are just like at that that lower mid range where they just need like an extra push. And so oh my gosh, I mean, that's why I fell in love with reading emotion was doing that work. And, but even now as a coach, I do work directly with students um, in the classrooms okay. when I do my school visits with, with teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And Avo, can you tell me what you enjoy about reading? Like, have you always enjoyed reading? Is this something that has always been important to you? And then um, for you, I'd like to hear a little bit about your interaction with teachers and sort of how you come alongside teachers to help uh, them do the work that, that, let's be real, they don't have time, they're not resourced, and they're not paid enough to do. Yeah, so uh, for the first part, yeah, as a, I mean, I, I have always been interested in reading. I actually uh, was an English major for part of my college uh, education, and I'm also a musician too. So for me, it's kind of a fusion of both, you know, and, and as Lauren said, we're kind of an arts-infused organization. And we've, um, we've taken the approach that some students don't quite grasp the traditional mode of, of learning of a typical classroom. So we've designed yeah. a curriculum and a, a methodology to teach these early reading skills that employs elements of uh, music, a little bit of movement, and even some drama skills too. Now, what we've done is um, created that curriculum to bring into the classroom. The teachers actually execute it, and we're alongside them as they execute it. We, we do regular visits to the class, either in person or virtually, and we kind of observe, sometimes model, sometimes interact with the students so that um, the teacher can kind of see what we might be after in a certain activity if they don't quite get it. And yeah. um, so what it really looks like is we're kind of teaming up with the teacher to use the activities that we've designed to bring a new approach to the classroom that's hopefully really engaging that kind of attaches to multiple intelligence uh, of those students some students maybe can't sit and listen to a lecture about you know certain reading skills but if you put the practice into a song 
with a timed response, suddenly they're hooked. They don't really know um, that they're in the midst of a practicing session for a skill, but they're actually doing it. And so we get a really high level of engagement from the students in that way. And the teacher kind of starts expanding their toolkit of what how they can teach and what lessons to use. And, and we have practiced these in multiple classrooms over multiple years to kind of refine these activities to really be both kid-friendly, teacher-leading-friendly, and um, to, to be like a supplemental reading approach to capture kids that get lost in the normal shuffle and to give extra practice and to give um, really a very focused practice on certain really key skills that we see are crucial to building that foundation. You, you used a couple of words in there that I want to kind of pull out and talk a little about uh, multiple intelligence, which I thought was really interesting because I hear that and I think of, I mean, kids are smart in so many different ways. And I think that um, we most identify with academia, you know, when they get something, you know, when the teacher tells them something, they get it, they can use it, they can apply it, um, they can remember it. I think we think, oh, that kid is smart. Um, when kids are really sort of precocious at other things, art, music, whatever it may be, we don't always recognize that as early. And so for you, what can you share what you mean by multiple intelligence and why it's important to remember that and to really like think yeah. about and, and apply that? Definitely. Um, yeah, for me, multiple intelligence is kind of the different ways we take in information and learn. We could be a visual learner where we need a lot of pictures. We might be a auditory learner where we really need to hear someone speaking to us to be our main mode. Some students are very kinesthetic. They need to kind of incorporate movement and bodily okay. gross motor or fine motor to kind of grasp an idea. Some might be very musical. They may need to hear it in a tune and then it's memorable. So, um, you know, these subjects have been the subject of a lot of expanse in education processes over the last, you know, a couple decades, really. But I don't see that a lot of curriculums have actually brought them in fully. And so when we go into a classroom, we'll, we'll kind of take a look at where the kids are across the span of unstandardized reading tests and sort of be able to pick like, oh, certain kids are really missing something here. What might it be? And we'll watch them engage in these activities where they get to maybe do some movement or express through music or song or visual art or acting, acting out a story rather than just reading it. And we'll find that some kids really begin to excel when they find their kind of strength that that's like one of their really strong modes of bringing in information. And so our curriculum, I think, gives a range of ways for students to get into reading that are um, allow for multiple angles. And so we'll get this a lot from teachers where we'll go, wow, this student of mine was really struggling. But once we started bringing in music or movement, they really got involved and engaged and i've seen a lot of great progress happen and so this multiple intelligence approach is really to kind of allow kids to kind of realize who they are as a learner to see like oh my strength is really in this area versus that and this particular teacher might teach in a style that's not as conducive to my general approach yeah. toward learning 
And I think we expand that range a bit for the students and kind of wake up in them and, and also for the teacher. You know, sometimes we don't really know what the students' strengths are till we expose them to a few ways of of taking in information and we'll see them really light up on one and we'll go like, wow, that that student maybe was a troubled student because they were not grasping it in their strength area. But now when it comes in their strength area, they become very focused. Yeah. That's yeah. that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I just want to jump into um so there was a quote that I heard during my first couple of years of teaching and it says, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, you'll never know what it's truly capable of. And that's one of the things that I love about reading in motion is that we provide these students who are unable to show their max capabilities with the ability to flourish by providing them with the opportunity to do something that they're actually truly good at. And um, a lot of a lot of students, for them, it's really life changing to actually mm-hmm. be good at something and to grasp something. And when that when you see that light turn on as a teacher, it's that's why you teach. You know, you don't teach yeah. for the money. You teach because you see these students do an incredible thing, and just to get to be part of that. And I think over the years, how many students, how many lives we've touched, and who they'll become, and what they'll do with their lives, and it's incredible. It's an incredible privilege to be a teacher. Yeah. Brenda, I'd like for you to share with us about uh, this concept of leveling up, why it's important for reading emotion, not to just get kids reading at their level, but why it's important to get them reading beyond their level. Um, really young. I mean, pre-K is super young. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's important because I mean, you always want to be challenging. We always want to challenge ourselves, we want to challenge our students, but also, you know, don't want them to get bored. And I think sometimes that, that can be something that, you know, children can run into. It's like, oh, well, this is my, I'm a level C kid. Okay, I'll read these level C books. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, we never want kids to feel stuck because that's when <laughs> they can get off task and they, they just can get bored. And so, yeah, in, in terms of that, that's why it's really important to have, you know, always be challenging them and, and pushing them yeah. to, yeah, incre- whether that means like literally increasing more words per, per minute, you know, increasing their fluency, reading with expression. Um, yeah, and it just, it, it's more engaging too. And, and it will want them to like want to go read a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I loved reading when I was young and I still read a lot now. And um, for me, <laughs> I think, you know, most of us probably know the Book It program, and that was huge in my like, <laughs> enjoyment of reading. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, who doesn't want free pizza? I love so, that program. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they love me as much because I got a lot of pizza out of that. But uh, for are there other organizations out there that, um, that you see that are also working really hard to make this happen and, uh, or other programs out there? And what inspires you about getting to work in this you know, with all these other programs to do this kind of work. Uh, oh, is the question for me? Um, yeah. 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 So in the city of Chicago, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, I, I also did volunteer work with um, an organization called Open Books and they also provide mm-hmm. lots yeah. of different, yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of different books um, and, and they do have like a reading buddies program in schools. And then um, there's another organization called Working in the Schools, WITS, which is also great. And yeah, all of these programs are just designed to like, you know, get that love of, of learning and reading of children. Um, so yeah, those are just a couple of the, off the top of my head. Um, yeah. Lord, yeah, or Ava, if you know of some other ones. 
Um, I know Sit, Stay, Read. They're a pretty cool program that um, they, they bring dogs into school so that kids are able to read to dogs. That's kind of a neat program as well. Um, yeah, there's lots of different programs out there that, you know, encourage reading. Um, yeah, they're great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm an Open Books member, so I love cool. going there and um, seeing because it for me, like when you go in and you see a kid sitting on the floor, like reading a book, it's like you just get excited that they're excited to be there and and they like want to read it now. They don't even want to wait till they get home. So it's super fun. Uh, yeah, Lauren, I was I'm, sorry. Go right ahead. Alvin. I, I was just just going to jump in on something that Brenda was saying, too, and this idea that, um, you know, even though our curriculum is kind of divided out by years, so pre-K, kindergarten, first, second, we kind of view reading as a one long continuum to the point where students are self-motivated and self-sufficient um, readers. So whatever that age is, if it happens for some kids in kindergarten, great. Some kids may not even in first or second grade get there, but we, we wanna um, kind of put them on this sense of, there's a path to the point where you're going to be able to get to choose your books. You're going to yeah. be able to get the information out of them. And even though we divide them by grade, if a student is ready to move on, we'll we'll show them the curriculum from the next year. And if students are behind, we may show them curriculum from a previous year to kind of help catch them up. So we we have looked at reading as like this this it's a lifelong process for sure. Because once you become a self-sufficient reader, there's nothing you can't learn, right? But if, until you are a self-sufficient reader, that's where all of our assistance hopefully comes in is to get them to that point. So we we kind of divide our, our lessons out by grade, but we'll also mm. cross over a little bit on grades with teachers where they might have groups of students, especially during this time of online learning, we've noticed that we've needed a wider band for some grades or some classrooms, just to kind of pay attention to where they're really at and what the next step is. So if they're in first grade, but they're late kindergarten level, then they need to find that next step to get them through the kindergarten level before they move into first grade. And so I think one of the things that we do is help teachers kind of bridge a little bit outside their grade band to either look for high readers to just excel and go way up beyond their grade or low readers to be able to catch up and not feel like they got left in the dust and will never be addressed again. So we try to give them strategies and really activities and and curriculum to really deal with all of that. Yeah, and I'm wondering if you can share with us, is there a connection between speech and reading um, and if, if a child is able to, to speak well, or if they are unable to really formulate words, string them into sentences, does that impede their ability to read? Yeah, um, that is such an important question. I think you hit on one of the key things that we really concentrate a lot on, especially let's say pre-K into kindergarten, is that first and foremost, our language is a spoken and listened to language. Mm -hmm. we, we learn to speak and converse before we learn the mechanics of reading. And what we have noticed and we encourage a lot in our pre-K is to get conversational and get students to really start speaking and listening to 
more and more complete sentences and to be able to express their ideas verbally. Because what we have noticed is that if children don't develop that, let's say by halfway through first grade and they start being asked to read text, the language structure is still kind of unfamiliar to them. And they really, it, it's almost like a somewhat like a foreign language to them. So we really feel like you've got to learn to speak it and hear it in really um, conversant ways as you grow. And then you can be taught some of these mechanics to kind mm. of decode the language. And English has its own special set of issues because we have a whole bunch of sight words that don't follow grammatic um, or follow phone phonemic rules. So you can't sound all of them out, you know, they're spelled yeah. oddly. And so they've got to memorize a certain batch, but they do need to know how those words are used in normal conversation before you can ask them to do something abstract, like memorize a word. So, yeah. so we really push this idea that, um, you know, spoken and oral language is a key element in developing kind of all the neuro networks that are going to help them decode language and reading later. Hmm. Uh, Lauren, I, I'd like for you to share with us a little bit about um, if you've seen how, I mean, now we're, we're very technology savvy and kids of all ages can do, seems like anything on an iPad, on a, on a smartphone, whatever. Um, as, as kids are now, you know, seeing more screens, is that affecting their ability to read and, and what your, you and the team there are doing to try and help resource kids to read and, and to enjoy it? Yeah, um, I definitely think that we, you know, we see this generation, even when I first began teaching, there wasn't a lot of screen time. Um, it, it kind of expanded as I, as, as my teaching career went on. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely noticed that kids were really engaged when there was some sort of multimedia um, presentation going on along with the lesson. Um, so reading in motion um, as a response to the pandemic, we, we kind of started our digital transformation. Um, previously reading in motion we had um, paper lessons that teachers would follow. I mean, we, got, we had our music and everything, obviously, um, but we didn't have videos. We didn't have digital materials that teachers could really utilize in their classroom. Um, so as a response to the pandemic and students learning from home, we took all of our curriculum for pre-K through second grade and we digitized it so that teachers could access it virtually. Um, we made videos that were interactive for students. Um, we took our songs and we made kind of presentation slideshows so that the teachers could either use them live with their students or they could send them out as a recording if the student wasn't um, in class that day. And we're hoping, you know, as um, within the next year that we can continue to update our curriculum so that it's even more engaging for students. Um, because yeah, we are in a digital age and it's time to expand on, you know, what we're offering. So we're hoping, you know, we continuously grow with Reading in Motion. We love to um, update our curriculum and update our methods so that our students are continuously engaged. Yeah. Brenda, can, can you share with us um, about some of the challenges to what you do? What makes it difficult for you to do the work um, 
and, and sort of is there ways that people can come alongside to make those challenges easier or, or to, um, to kind of take some of those away? Um, time always seems like a challenge. Yeah. There never <laughs> seems to be enough minutes in the day. Um, yeah. And I mean, teachers are just pulled in so many directions constantly. It's one of the things that we try to help teachers with is like how to maximize those precious minutes in the classroom. I would say that's like the biggest challenge is, you know, I mean, yeah, I have to put out this fire and then I have to do this and I do that. And, and just trying to help them find ways to minimize those classroom distractions so that kids are getting like that really high quality instructional time. You know, and, and a lot of it's like, okay, teaching, you know, the, the other kids in the class to like work independently while the teacher can work in a small group with those kids that really need like those extra, extra minutes with focusing on foundational skills for, for reading. Um, I'd say that's the, that's like the biggest thing I, I'm having conversations with teachers about um, because yeah, I mean, it's, it's school, school is a wonderful place, but it's so dynamic and there's so many things always going on. You know, if you walk into a classroom, um, lots of like, just even like little interruptions, they add up throughout the day. So just trying to help teachers. Yeah maximize that time it seems like the work that you do with teachers is almost as important as the work that you do with students um from what oh. i'm hearing a lot yeah oh for sure um, yeah so, absolutely i mean what is it about that work that that sort of i mean brings about what you all do and and sort of I mean, it's so built into what you're doing. I mean, how did that come about and sort of how did the, the concept of like working with these teachers sort of bring you to where you are? Um, so I think like the way that Reading in Motion is set up, um, one of the things that we do is we provide instructional coaching to teachers. And I know as a former teacher, anytime anyone would come into my classroom and observe, it was usually an administrator Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're a little scared because they're evaluating you and they're the ones who decide, like, you know, are they going to get, you know, are they going to do a good job? Are they going to be effective or not effective? And what I like about reading in motion is that we do observe teachers, but we don't evaluate. So mm -hmm. I always would tell my teachers when I was an instructional coach, you know what, we're partners. I'm here to help you. Um, I'm here to help you fix the things that you can fix so that your students will get the maximum amount of instruction that they can possibly get. Um, and so as a partner, it was very much, you know, it was like learning from the teacher next door. It wasn't like I'm mm. being evaluated. This lady's coming in and she's watching me and I'm scared. And it was very much like a partnership. And I saw a lot of growth from my teachers and thereby I would see a lot of growth from their students. Um, and I think we kind of collaborate a lot as a team. We provide we provide the opportunity for teachers to collaborate with each other. Um, and I think you can learn so much from another teacher. Um, honestly, that's where I learned more about teaching, I feel like, than almost even in college, was I learned from my colleagues. And I learned, you know, I saw what they did and how they helped their students. And I took their ideas and I made them my own. And I think that that's kind of how um, reading in motion does with instructional coaching is we we allow the teachers to take some of our skills and our ideas and make it their own and then their students really excel yeah i see that uh for the average cps schools 57 percent of the kids are reading at their level and when reading in motion gets involved and, and gets in the schools it jumps up to 80 percent, which is amazing 
Um, so the question then is, how do we get Reading in Motion into more schools? How do we get these kinds of programs out there? Yeah, I think the more exposure that we can get, the better. We have social media. You can find us at on Facebook and on Instagram at Reading in Motion. Um, you know, donations, even the smallest donation makes such a big difference. Um, Reading in Motion is a nonprofit. We like to help our, our schools afford our services. Um, a majority of our schools utilize donor dollars in order to fund um, Reading in Motion within, within their classrooms. So yeah, if, if people want to help, they can donate, they can um, follow us on social media, share our posts, share our mission. Um, I think that would be a great way to get involved. Yeah. The, you already answered one of the questions that we always ask, which is, you know, where can we find you? And we know uh, where to find yeah. you. Uh, I found you on Instagram. So obviously uh, it's effective there. Um, you can always go to reemotion.org and find out what's going on, what they're doing and the effect that they have in schools. So that's great information. Ava, we're going to go uh, start with you. We're going to get this from everyone. But I want to know first from you, what is your hope? Um, not just for Reading in Motion and its program, but really for Chicago. What is your hope for the future of Chicago and for uh, Reading in Motion in Chicago? I think one of my biggest hopes is that this group of students that is just coming up through kindergarten, pre-K through second grade, um, gets to kind of get caught up on, I think, this period of, of uh, slightly slowed education yeah. process with this kind of pandemic style learning. We've seen across the board that that every school has kind of fallen a little bit behind the pace. So one of my biggest hopes is, is to kind of get what we call catch up growth, which is where you gain a year and then some in these mm. next couple years. And so one of the ways that we we try to do that is just through a really efficient approach in the classroom that we kind of stick with the really big important ideas and that uh, that those students can kind of develop some momentum and that that momentum kind of carries them to be kind of an inspired reader, inspired learner and carry them beyond just one typical year of academic growth, but even into one and a half or, or more. And I know that that's definitely possible because I've seen it many a time yeah. and it really a motivated student is one that has very much um, removed the limitations off of their their ceiling, so to speak. And um, and I feel like if we get our students to be inquisitive learners, self-confident, researching, then they can be the ones that solve problems that they encounter as they grow up in our city. And we, we really need, we, we have issues to solve, obviously. And um, I think that's the generation that, that has the, the vantage point to hopefully come up through the school systems and kind of see like, where, where can we improve? What can we do in our neighborhoods to improve interrelations of others in the city? And also become aware of the world that Chicago is connected to outside and that we're not just kind of connected in, in our neighborhoods only, but we're, we, we can expand out into the world and um, through books, we can you know travel into other experiences and, and then eventually physically go to those places too and, and kind of see that we are you know 
members of both a small community, but one that branches out into the, the country and world around us too. And, and to do that with confidence and with just sort of a foundation of of a self-sufficiency in learning and reading, you know, as that would be yeah. like my biggest wish really. Yeah. That's amazing. Brenda, if you could share with us, uh, your, your hope for the future. I mean, yeah, everything Avo just said for sure. Um, <laughs> and just a continuous, um, goal and efforts to close achievement gaps. Um, they existed before the pandemic and they've been exacerbated by the pandemic, especially in communities that are, under-resourced, um, you know, high-poverty neighborhoods in our city, just closing those achievement gaps. It shouldn't, you know, I know it's always said, but it shouldn't matter where your zip code is and what school you go to. You should, you know, be able to have those foundational reading skills and, ha- and, and have a love of learning th- for your whole life. And yeah, that's that's my hope um, in, in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Lauren, if you want to close us out and share with us your hope for the future of Chicago and in, in reading in motion. Yeah, so definitely both of what um, Avo and Brenda said. I think, I think as reading in motion is concerned, we really just want to be able to expand our reach so that we can provide more and more students um, our services so that we can help these students who really are in these under-resourced communities um, to be able to have access to reading. We just want these kids to succeed and we want them to have the opportunity that all the rest of their peers have. And um, I think what we do is, I just I just love what we do. And I, I really hope that we are able to, you know, continue to expand and provide more and more students with this opportunity. Yeah. Well, we here at Bridging Chicago, and I especially also love what you do. I love that there are people doing it. And I hope that you feel refreshed every season to do it again. I know it's not easy. And so I hope that, you know, summertime gives you some refreshment and um, and that you're able to partner with teachers because I can't imagine how tiring it is to do that. And so we hope that you get to do it more and for a lot longer. Um, so we love partnering with you and please share with us in the future ways that we can partner with you and we'll be sure to share that with our network as well. Uh, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today to the three of you for joining me today because I know time is valuable as Brenda shared with us. It's uh, it's a big challenge and so time is a great resource and so I thank you for that. Um, remind you, you can go to readingemotion.org and find all the ways that you can Uh, get involved, learn what they're doing, and connect with them. Um, We'll also put all those ways on our website along with this episode, bridgingchicago.com. So you can go to either of those two websites where you can learn more information. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast, and we look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including
including, but not limited to, or use in, or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.